0: Old Testament, Parker prayed. I wish we could call it the First Covenant. Old sounds old. But anyway, today we're going to start a series on the Ten Commandments out of the Old Testament. We're going to call it the Big Ten. And this summer we're going to take one commandment each Sunday. And these Ten Commandments, I suggest to you, are a compass for life. God will guide us and direct us through the stormy times and through the calm times. And these commandments will help us avoid disaster and shipwreck. God gives us these ten not to oppress us and not to make us feel bad, but to benefit us, to to nurture a lasting, loving relationship with Him and His world and with, with people. These ten are paths to build a solid life. These commandments are the better way. So, I want to start with Psalm 1. Whatever they do prospers. Blessed is the man who delights in the law. He loves it. He's thrilled by it. He meditates on it. He can't keep his mind off it. He knows it's a wonderful, incredible gift. And he thinks about it day and night. And the result is he will flourish. This is the best way. Don't listen to those other voices. Delight in God's word. It is a compass for life. Now some people, ah, thank you. Some people read the Ten Commandments with, I think, the wrong mindset. They say, well, this is what I have to do and, you know, I don't really want to do them and I'd rather be having fun rather than following these ancient commands. That's just the wrong way to approach it. God was saying, this is who you were made to be. And this is how to flourish. Delight in them. Don't dread them. It's best to see the 10 commandments as revealer of the laws which underline the universe. God created this universe and put some laws in them, and this is what underpins our creation. And if you go against these 10, you're going against the way the universe was designed, and it'll hurt you. The Latin root word uh, root for the word authority means that's what allows growth and life, and submission to God's authority and his commandment is what will promote growth. These commandments are not narrow restrictions meant to stifle your joy. They are liberating and life-giving. So I want you to imagine, just for a moment, imagine the United States of America. And imagine that we are a nation where there is no more stealing, no lying, no coveting, no envy or jealousy, no killing, no anger, no immorality. Kids are obeying and honoring their parents. Everyone takes a day off to rest and worship. No one falsely, uh, is falsely accused. Everyone watches their tongue. Everyone worships God. What kind of nation would we be? It'd be heaven. Exactly. And that's the kind of world God created back in Genesis until sin entered the picture and God has given this map back into the right kind of world. It's the healthy way. Exodus 20 is where we find these Ten Commandments. They're also found in Deuteronomy 5, but we'll be looking at Exodus. Moses is on Mount Sinai right after God delivered Israel from the Egyptians and God gives Moses the big ten. Now why do we have ten? I don't know, it's ten fingers or whatever actually there's been a recent discovery that sheds new light on why we have ten commandments, so watch this video Lord I shall give these laws unto thy people hear me, oh hear me all pay heed the Lord the Lord Jehovah has given unto you these 15, 10, 10 commandments for all to obey Yeah. That's actually not true, okay? (laughs) All right, Ten Commandments. I'd like to make up five more, but we won't go there. Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words. Notice, words, not commands. Ten words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That's the prologue. I am the Lord your God. The word Lord in verse 2 is probably capitalized in your Bible. That is the name of God. And in Hebrew, it's four consonants, no vowels, Y-H-W-H. We don't know exactly how to pronounce. It could be Jehovah or it could be Yahweh. And when Moses asked for God's name, this is what God gave him, which is translated by most, I am, which is a strange name, I am, but that's who he is. He is. He's always was, always will be, eternal being. He's permanent. Without Him, nothing else is. He's the great I Am. And one implication of His name is that He is an unchangeable God. I Am does not change. I Am is constant. He always has been, always will be. And what we what He wants from us will not change. Human laws, of course, are always changing, but He is not. A lot of people... Of course, are declaring the Ten Commandments as obsolete and outdated. They don't relate to current issues. The Ten Commandments are being removed from public buildings and worse, from people's hearts and minds. Someone once said the real reason we can't have the Ten Commandments in a courthouse anymore is that you cannot post, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, and thou shalt not lie in a building full of lawyers, judges, and politicians. So maybe that's why. But the attitude today is that one time it may have been wrong to have sex outside of marriage, but times have changed. Times are different than they were in the Bible. Not really. Not if you read the Bible. Maybe worse back then than it is today. Stealing is still wrong. It'll always be wrong. Coveting another man's or possessions or spouse is still wrong. It'll always be wrong. It's just not good. Mur- murder is still wrong. He is the unchangeable good reference point. He is the compass that will not be influenced by surroundings. And we'll live better if we live by His way. Second implication from this prologue, He says, I'm the Lord, your God. He is a personal God. He's not just some distant deity way up there who's passed down a bunch of laws and regulations to us. He is personally interested in you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants the best for you. He wants to protect you. So these commandments are a gift. I am your God. And here's a gift. Very, very important here. These 10 are not given us soul that we can have a relationship with God. I want you to hear this. These 10 are not given so that we can have a relationship with God. They are not the way to salvation. A great many people think God is this moralist who's imposing this code upon humanity and that moral code is really, really, really hard. In fact, most would say it's impossible. And then Jesus comes along and makes it even harder. He said, don't just refrain from killing. You don't even get angry. Well, Who's not guilty? You've heard, don't commit adultery. I say, don't even look. Don't even look at a woman lustfully. So I have a prediction. As we go through these ten, you will find that you have broken every one of them. Every one of us has broken every one. And if, Jesus, if God is just a moralist imposing a code upon us and these commandments are the way to please Him, we're in really, really big trouble. Now up to this point in Exodus... Israel has done nothing to deserve God's love. And yet he says, I am your God. Before any command is given, he says, you are already my people. So these commands are not conditions of our relationship to God. They are confirmation of his relationship to us. He is a personal God and he gives us his commands to guide us and bless us. And they are his gift, not a moral imposition. Third part of the prologue says, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He's the delivering God. I'm the one who saved you. I'm the one who gave you freedom, new life in the land. They've been in despair and slavery for over 400 years, and now they're free. So there's an order here. First, God delivers by His grace and then gives commands. So first, He justifies and then He sanctifies. So these commands are not the way to God. When someone says, well, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments, doesn't matter. They're a response to God who's already saved us. I read an amazing story back in January 2004. Police in a small town in Durham, Ontario, responded to complaints from relatives that entered into a ramshackled house and discovered two teenage boys locked in cages, 14 and 15 years old. They were allowed to attend school during the day but then sent back to their cages at night. On weekends and holidays, they were allowed downstairs for a bowl of cereal in the morning and then sent back to their cages wearing diapers where they'd spend the rest of the day. Detective Kate Lang and Constable Tim Mao released the boys from their cages. They told them they would never be locked in there again. They were set free. And I read that, and I thought, that's not the end of that story. Those boys are going to have major psychological hurdles to overcome. They don't just need physical freedom, they need some emotional freedom and a major recalibration and a change in thinking. Well, in the same way, God freed Israel after 400 years of slavery. Physically, they'd been freed, but they also needed a change in thinking and guidance on how to live a free life. And their whole mindset was that of slaves. And it's the same for us, by the way. God freed us from sin, but our mindset and our whole orientation still needs changing. Our old way needs his uh, use to that sin life and needs a new orientation. So we have this guidance out of these 10. You might think of these 10 as God's 10-step program instead of a 12-step program. For instance, the Sabbath commandment frees us from our addiction to busyness. Go, 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 busy, busy, workaholism, and depending on ourselves. The Sabbath frees us from that. The idolatry commandment frees us from all these false gods that would enslave us. The stealing commandment frees us from the slavery of materialism. By the way, how many of you could quote the Ten Commandments in order right now? Anyone? Anyone? Eh, it might be a couple. Let me help you. I'm going to give you a ten-finger exercise. This is a children's way to remember the ten. Um, it's not going to be necessarily make sense, but it'll help you remember, I promise. Number one, this is easy. means one God, no other gods before me. Okay? Second commandment, two fingers, makes the scissors, so you can count out an idol in the form of an idol. Okay? No other, do not have any idols. Third is a W, and that's for the W for the word, word, or words. Watch your words. Do not take my name in vain. Fourth is four wheels on a car, unless you have a flat tire. No. (laughs) Four wheels on a car, that's to get you to church. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Okay? Five, then, you need all five fingers in order to salute. Don't you honor your father and mother? Salute them. Salute your parents. Number six, this is my favorite one. Number six. Sixth commandment. Pew, pew, do not kill. That's your gun. Pew, all right? You'll remember that one. Seven. V for virtue or virgin. Do not commit adultery. Eight. We're going to do two fours. We don't have any thumbs showing. You know why? Because back in some, day, in some cultures in some days, if you were a thief, you cut off your thumbs. You're a two-time loser. You know, do not steal or you'll lose your thumbs. Nine. Got nine who We're telling the truth, but this little piggy, he was a liar. He would not tell the truth. Do not bear false witness. And ten, you need all your fingers to go and get all you want. Do not covet. So, we'll do that again sometime. It'll help you remember. Here's the first commandment. One God. You shall have no other gods before me. Say that with me. You shall have no other gods before me. In the Bible, the first in a list is very often the most important item. Above anything else, before anything else, God says, I want your allegiance. It's why you were created. You were created for me. Literally, no other gods in addition to me. I want to be your only God, not just one of many. The only God. Israel came out of a culture, of course, of polytheism. You know, many gods, Baal, Asherah, Milcah, Chemosh, Rain, and Dagon. Uh, even 1,500 years later, when Jesus was around, it was still polytheistic. Gods of And the Greeks and the Romans had multiple gods of Zeus, Aphrodite, Mercury. And the Christians were accused of actually being atheists because they didn't believe in polytheism. And what God is saying, instead of looking at multiple deities to meet your multiple needs, like the God of commerce and the God of love and the God of war and the God of rain, I am your one-stop God. I am the one source for everything. And God doesn't want just to be first. He wants to be only because He is the only God. It's kind of like your wife. If you're married, she doesn't want to just be first. She wants to be only. And that's what's healthy. When God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, He brought ten plagues on the Egyptians. You know, flies and gnats and frogs and Nile turned to blood and darkness, you know, all that. And what God did in those ten plagues is He took the Egyptian gods and made a mockery of them. You worship the God of the Nile? You think the Nile is what sustains you? We'll turn it to blood. What's your fake God going to do then? You like flies? You worship the God of the flies? Okay, here's some flies. You worship a God that looks like a frog? Well, here you go. Here's some frogs. You worship the sun? He blotted out the sun, made it dark. You worship the God of health? Oh, will give you some boils. He, God took the deities of Egypt, at least 10 of them, and made a mockery of them to show there is only one God. And He wanted both Egypt and Israel to know, I am the I am. And He demands our allegiance because He is. The only reality. Now why is this one first? I would suggest it's because God wants the best for you. And the best thing for you is himself. Don't chase other gods. They're just dead ends. And then the rest of the commandments are a commentary on this one. The Sabbath says don't let busyness be your God. Kill says don't let hate be your God. Steal, don't let acquisition be your God. Adultery, don't let sex be your God. Coveting, don't let your desires be your God. Let God be God. It's the best thing for you. And so I am predicting that every one of you will find that every one of us has broken every one of these ten. Every one of us. Every ten. So, you might ask, well, why try? What difference is it going to make? Well, in my study for the soul series, the last one we just came out of, John Ortberg's book mentions an experiment where 450 students at UCLA were divided into two groups, and one group was told to remember 10 books they'd read in high school, which, that's good, they'd read 10 books. And then the other group was to remember the Ten Commandments. And they found that the 10 who'd read 10 books in school participated in widespread cheating, which was so common. The ten who had focused on the Ten Commandments, there was no cheating at all. It was amazing. I thought, oh, that's kind of that's crazy. Well, then I read another article in Christianity Today just a week or two ago about research on cheating, and they said researchers have confirmed our worst suspicions. People are very prone to cheat, but they've also discovered something unexpected. They've found a way to practically eliminate cheating altogether. They found studies and research that when the Ten Commandments are presented to students, it eliminated cheating. It's amazing. Just being aware of them. Now, that doesn't mean they're perfectly keeping them, just knowing them and being aware. Some of you will remember when a man's word was gold, a deal could be done with a handshake. Why? Because at one time, the Ten Commandments and the Judeo-Christian ethic dominated our land. And removal of these ten has just been devastating. So just learning and thinking God's law has an impact. Like Psalm 1 says, who meditates on His law day and night, it will make an impact on you. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. The law makes that person solid and healthier. Joshua, in his book, says, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I wish every dad and mom would have that as their motto. Our house will serve God. And we will have no other gods before Him. Which makes me wonder, how do I know if God's first in my life? Maybe I worship something or someone else more than God, and I don't even know it. See, the easiest person to deceive is yourself. And I ask myself once in a while, am I really making God first in my life? So I'm going to give you an acrostic of first to help you know and determine who or what sits on the throne of your life. And if you can answer these five questions honestly... It'll give you an idea of what's first. Or better, it might be good to ask someone else. Ask someone who really knows you, okay, uh, who's first in my life? And go down this list of these five. F is your focus. What do you focus on? What's your mission statement for life? Psalm 11 said on his law, he meditates day and night. That's his focus. What do you think about a lot? Focus would mean we want to learn more about Him. We want to know this God and who He is and see what He wants from us. Focus would mean we give God first consideration when we're making a decision or a choice. What does He want? He is my focus. He's not a part-time God. Everything else should be done in light of submission to Him. Focus. Huge. I is income. Because most anyone can look at your expenditures over the past year and tell you what is important to you. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. And if God is first, it will affect your finances. If He doesn't affect your finances, He's not first. It's just pretty simple. Now, this is not God's way of doing a fundraiser. It's not God's way of bilking you. It's just the best way. It's the best way to health. We've all seen people destroy themselves with money. Marriages come apart because of it. We see attitudes get skewed because of it. People get addicted to shopping and spending or even saving and hoarding. People get ulcers over this. Some see money as a way to happiness. You know, If if you're debt ridden and you have unharnessed spending, that's not fun. That sounds like slavery to me. But God is this giving generous God and making Him first means I will become that kind of a person. You know, people who say we talk too much about money, uh, first of all, we don't talk about it near as much as the Bible does, but usually the ones that have trouble with it, I, I love it when I hear sermons on money. I don't like preaching them, but I like hearing them, because I know how important this is and, and how how much of a divide it can be between people. There was a young minister, He's fresh out of seminary, and he thought, in order for him to better minister to his congregation, he should... Uh, hang around some policemen for a while. Actually, he became kind of a substitute po- poli- or a, a deputy policeman. And I'm not sure what kind of church he was going to minister at, thinking he needed to be a policeman. But anyway, he did. So part of the process of helping out with the police is he had to pass an oral exam to test his ability to act quickly and wisely in case of an emergency. And one of the questions was asked, what would you do to disperse a frenzied crowd? And he thought for a moment, and he said, I would pass an offering plate. Mm-hmm. Sorry. It's best I have today. But your finances say a lot about who you are. We know that. Ours relationships. If God is first, every relationship will be affected. If God is first, I'll look at people the way God looks at them. I'll forgive others as He has forgiven me. I'll do unto others as I would have them do unto me. I'll be faithful like God's been faithful. I'll have grace toward others. I'll be forgiving. I'll honor my parents. I'll not gossip. I'll encourage. I'll build others. I'll respect the elderly. For my kids, I'll want them to be what God wants them to be, not what I want them to be. It'll affect every relationship in your your focus on Him. As a security, He is my security. This is maybe the toughest one for me. Because if He is my security, that means worry and fear will not dominate my life. Worry means that I really don't trust God. Jesus said, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and God will handle these other things. You trust me? Do you trust Him? Put your focus where it belongs. Peter said, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. He is your security. Well, is He? And then T is time. The way I spend my time shows what's important to me. This means I will spend time with Him, spend time serving Him, time with His people. I'll take a Sabbath to worship Him every week as He's commanded. For many people, the barrier to spiritual growth is really not just lack of commitment. It's really an overcommitment, committed to so many things. And I know I'm talking to busy people, you know, and there's, it's a temptation to have so many gods, but you have to make a choice, and it's not easy. Now, in our community, I got to thinking, uh, and I got in trouble first service with this one. There are three groups of people. I think you can put everybody in our community under these three groups. First, there's those who are fully dedicated. Now, they're not perfect, but you can just tell God is first in their life. Their focus, their money, their time, their family, it's God's. You can just see it. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. You can tell. There's the dedicated. The second group would be the lost. Those are just not into God, not interested. They might even be belligerent towards the church, and you know. And then third group, and this is the one I have the hardest to do, and I think it's the largest group probably. I hope not. But it's those who are Christian in name. And they'd be nominal. Nominal means in name. But they're just not very committed. They might be in church, you know, a few Sundays a year, maybe once a month. But God really has no control over their time, or focus, or family, or their attitude. And the kingdom of God just isn't that important, and other things are more important. Some have called this, I just read this term, the mushy middle. And what's happening, according to one article I read, the mushy middle in the church is pretty much disappearing. Because there's so many forces that keep people from following Christ wholeheartedly in our culture today, that mushiness eventually turns into coldness. And what we're finding is that either people are all in for God, or their mushiness leads them farther away from God. You just can't sit on the fence forever. Sooner or later, you're going to go one way or the other. And Jesus said, either you're for me or you're against me. There is no mushiness. And so my plea today is the gist of this first commandment. Do not be part of that mushy middle. It doesn't work. I remember when I was a kid, I was raised, thank God, in a very Christian home, raised in a church. By the way, my dad wasn't a preacher when I was raised. He was a farmer. So even farmers can raise Christian kids. But I remember I could never understand nominalism. And I was just a kid. See, if God is who we say He is, and I remember, I I was 10, 12 years old, Remember, if God is who He says He is, then this in-between stuff is irrational. Either God is God or He's not. Get off the fence. Stop the mushiness. One other thing I have about this too. My my concern about this series of sermons is legalism. Where people say, all right, I have to love God and I have to put Him first and get Him first in my time and all that. I won't like it, but I'm going to do it. No. Jesus said the first and greatest commandment is to love God. It's not a duty. Like Psalm 1, He delights in the law. And we want to make God first and we want Him... In our lives, because we know this is the weight of life. The psalmist says, As the deer pants for water, so my soul pants after thee. So, how do I get away from this legalism? Do I have to do it to a point where I want to and and I'm excited about serving him? And I would suggest go back to the prologue. Remember who he is and remember what he's done. He is the I am, there is no other, he is the eternal. He delivered you out of slavery and saved you. And He's giving you these ten to help you. And when you realize you'll want to be in Him, you'll want to be right in Him, and you'll, you'll want Him to be first. It's just the best way. So this week, contemplate who He is. It'll blow your mind. And what He's done, that'll blow you away too. And then realize these ten are a gift. And I want to do these. I want to make Him first. I want this... Freedom that he offers because every other God will fail you. Don't be the mushy middle. You shall have no other gods because it's the best way. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these 10 words words of life and freedom, and they are a gift. Thank you for loving us enough to give us direction. Not only have you justified us, but now you want to sanctify us. And I pray that our eyes will be open, that our hearts will be open to see that you are good and you want the best for us. Open our eyes to see who you are, that you are worthy and deserving of all our allegiance, our whole hearts. And this is the best way, the way to life. This is the way you created us, the purpose for which you made us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, who makes it all possible. Amen.